welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. All right. Good morning once again. Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship. Our motto is showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life through Christ-centeredness, commitment, community, convergence, and culturally relevant ministry. I'm excited that you decided to join us today here on our uh, simulcast, our videocast, whatever you want to call it, podcast, all that good stuff. But we're glad that you're with us. Um, For those who are visiting for the first time, much love to you. Thank you for stopping through and viewing um, this time. Uh, Shout out to uh, those who jumped in just for the series I was talking to a dear friend in D.C., and uh, shout out to Anacostia Church there uh, uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., some of the folk tuning in to uh, hear and want to use some of the information, so many different people. I don't want to get started naming names, but just wanted to do a little shout out uh, today for you all. Well, we're continuing today in our Cancel Culture series, in our Cancel Culture series. Uh, this series has been a series that we've been using as a mechanism to talk about uh, different cultural issues that we're dealing with that we need biblical answers for in our contemporary culture as it relates to the political, socio-political, socio-economic uh, justice issues in our society. So today, let's turn over to Luke, uh, the 11th chapter. Uh, verses 37 through 42. We'll only deal with one verse here, but we will, uh, we will make sure we keep it contextually clean as it pertains to what God has called us to do. Uh, we're in Luke, Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 37 through 42. It reads like this. It says, as he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisee clean, or you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But uh, give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. In our, this segment of our Cancel Culture Series, I would like to talk very, very briefly about, I'd like to talk about defining and doing justice biblically. Defining and doing justice biblically. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We honor you, and we know that you are the one who has enacted these things and make them clear in your word for us to extract uh, for real life and for our prophetic witnesses. So I pray today that you would uh, drum up the church, strengthen the church, and help the church to have a ferocious commitment to the gospel through these mechanisms and means to change society and give a biblical worldview and 
the practical nutrients of what it looks like to live out a Christ-centered life in every area of our society, every layer of our society, every sector of our society, and in and through every system in our society. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Doing, uh, defining and doing justice biblically, Luke eleven thirty-seven through 42. Um, there was a young lady and a young man. Uh, 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 people would probably call them hood folks. Um, one dude, he was a semi-sagger. He wore white tees. He wore butter timberlands. You know what I'm saying? Spoke slang. It was a young lady. Uh, she wore bamboo earrings. Yes, at least two pair. Um, uh, uh, modestly dressed, though beautiful. Both of them handsome, beautiful. Uh, 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 she she had dookie braids. You understand what I'm saying? Just the just what would some people would call stereotypically hood people. But what was interesting um, as as people got around them, they began to understand that they had a lot of understanding of science and economics and philosophy, and were avid readers and were wise. And they were they were kind of taken aback because they were like, you know. To be so, like, hood, you're mad intellectual and knowledgeable as if you can't be from the block or be hood and have intellectual prowess because people constantly came upon them and were surprised at how much intellectual weight and renaissance-ness, if you did, if you will, that they had in their life. And that's the way I view the scriptures. The scriptures is kind of the book that people don't believe talks about anything they sleep on the scriptures. The, the scriptures, like, is the most slept on book in the world because most people think of the Bible as irrelevant. And the Bible itself isn't irrelevant. We've communicated in irrelevant ways. And not just in what we communicate directly from the Bible, but, 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 but also in how we live that doesn't reflect or help us to teach to show that the Bible is an expansive, expansive book. I mean, the Bible talks about sex, y'all like explicitly, like body parts. Um, it talks about war, right? It talks about relationships. The Bible talks about government. It talks about singleness. It talks, uh, it talks about marriage. It talks about finances. It talks about love, love, love. It even does poetry. The Bible has poetry in it. Did you know that? Um, the Bible talks about family. It even talks about blended families and the challenges of blended families. It talk, talks about so many things. It talks about economics and money, investment. It talks about so many things. But it also talks about justice. I, I'll never forget reading. I, I remember, I'll never forget putting out there uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 3 online a few years ago. And a non-Christian was like, I didn't know the Bible even dealt with issues like this. It talks about developing crooked law. They were rocked by that reality. In other words, we have to begin to show and see that we are making sure that we are allowing the Bible to influence and engage us and renew our minds in every area of life. And particularly in a day and age today, it's justice. It's justice. Justice needs the issues of justice in our society needs clarity. The issues of justice in our society needs the grace of the living God poignantly uh, pouring into us so that we as believers are on the same page. We got to be on the same page. And a lot of times we're not on the same page. And so today what we're going to do in being on the same page 
is effectively laying out how do we define what justice is and uh, 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 what, what does justice look like and wh- wh- why is this so important? Because believers need to be on the same page. It is clear to me that when you look at social media, it's clear to me when issues come up in society, it's clear to me that believers arguing over racial injustice and whether or not racism exists and whether or not the Bible talks about it and then <clears throat> the way people are uh, nuancing and speaking through these conversations, that there's a lot of lack of clarity among us. I mean, words like Marxism and social justice warrior and ethnic Gnosticism are not, are, 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 are really, and I'm explaining this in a second, they're really ghetto terms. Marxism, cultural Marxism, social justice warrior, and ethnic Gnosticism are, 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 are reform ghettos to a certain sector of white supremacist Christianity that refuses to deal with biblical justice issues. When you use an idea and when you take a term like ethnic Gnosticism, I know y'all are like, what in the world is Gnosticism? Well, what, 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 what I want to help you out with is ethnic Gnosticism is a term that was, that was actually, actually developed by a black man, which is weird to me. Um, refers to the assertion that someone not of a particular ethnicity can't understand the problems and challenges of a particular ethnicity. They did that because blacks were saying to whites, listen, you don't understand what it's like to be a black man. They're trying to say in ethnic Gnosticism that you can understand anybody's experience. You don't have to be black to understand the black experience. But what they did was they used a term that is a 911 heretical term as a way to flag out the real issue that's going on. What they did was they took a word from the first latter part of the first century, early first century, that the church fathers were fighting called Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosko. Gnostics were a group of people that believed certain things about the material world and, and, and about knowledge that can only come through a spiritual awakening of some type. And so what happens is they took this term, added it to ethnic, and said, man, you can understand what it's like to be black even though you're not black. So black people, stop saying that your your experience is unique from everybody else. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone in the modern day age that spent 400 years uh, enslaved in a particular country. I don't know many people that were by the millions, by the millions, listen, by the millions taken from a country and brought across water and, and sex down and thrown off the ship to the point where sharks were fought on the ship. You show me in the modern era where any group of people was going like that. I don't know anybody in the United States who, who, who came into this country uh, uh, the way we did. Everybody else coming as immigrants. Uh, um, 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 we came, except for the uh, Native Americans, um, we came in as uh, uh, kidnapped sex slaves and slaves. And so, like, what would I look like acting like I can understand everybody's experience? Like, what do I look like telling my wife I understand pregnancy? The heck is going on here? I would look crazy saying, baby, I know exactly what that, that, when you had that contract, oh, I felt that right there. Man, my wife, in the strength of the Hulk, will choke me within an inch of my life. At that moment, I can't, I can't, I can't tell certain people that had cancer all through their body. I understand exactly what it means to have cancer. I can't, I, I, a gender, people of different genders can't say, I understand what it's like to be your gender if I'm not that gender. You can try to empathize with another gender, but that doesn't mean you are of that gender. <clears throat> Nobody knows what it's like to be president until you're president. 
So for someone to talk about ethnic Gnosticism, you got to call everything Gnosticism. You got to call it female Gnosticism, male Gnosticism, pregnancy Gnosticism. I mean, you'd have to apply it to so many different things because you, 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 you would have to apply that principle to everything. But the terms use trigger words that try to make a concept that was heretical connected to an to opposing person's view. To me, and I'm, I'm addressing this in the beginning before we get into text because I know most people, I know how most, the, uh, some of the people are coming to this podcast. So, it's, so what I would say is it's basically intellectual cheating. <laughs> intellectual cheating that draws more on emotions than actual thinking. To use terms like cultural Marxism and ethnic Gnosticism. <clears throat> These sheets are ways to fight accountability in dealing with the real core issues of sin and injustice. At the end of the day, that's all you're really trying to do. And most people touting these terms won't put their hands to the plow for real systemic change and have no vested interest in serving black people at all. You name any one of the people using ethnic Gnosticism and, 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 and cultural Marxism, what black person or not black person, what black community are you in? What black community are you actually in where you've heard stories and you've dealt with their issues and you've worked through and you've actually, uh, you've actually done something, read your opposers, read their actual books. One guy was telling me, he said, man, I was jamming this leader, I was asking this leader about uh, something about um, you, Pastor Mason, because he was so avid against woke church. And I asked him, had he read woke church? And he said, no. So read Proverbs 18, 19 about um, one examines and another comes in and investigates. So why am I so hot about this? Because I think that Christians need to be heavily involved in understanding the framing of justice. Let's get in this text. Let's get in this text. Um, I got one point and one point only for you today. One point and one point only for you. Today, Jesus makes justice one of the largest themes in the Bible. Jesus points to and shows us that justice, family, is one of the largest themes in the Bible. Look at what it says in verse 37. He said, as he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. He said, all right, you want me to come to your crib, huh? And so, so he went in and reclined at the table. I like the way it say Jesus made himself comfortable in money's house. I, I like that. I like that a whole lot. It said, when the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not, he did not first perform the ritual, ritual, somebody say ritual, ritual washing before dinner. Interestingly enough, um, the Pharisees went by the law of the elders which was really um, in the oral law. And what they liked to do is they wanted to, they, they made laws on keeping the law. You understand what I'm saying? Which the law on keeping the law became equal with the law. So, so it became extremely confusing. But, but so, so when you didn't keep the law that was written to tell you to keep the law, we come into this in a second. When, when you don't keep the law that was written to help you to keep the law, then guess what? They viewed you not keeping the law because you didn't keep the law that was connected to what it looked like in their mind for you to keep the law. See, that's what legalism does. Legalism has a list of rules and tells you 
that if you don't do these things this particular way, that that means you're not keeping the actual principle. One of the things that we have to be careful of is utilizing our application of theology as a way, listen, as a way to say that a person is not keeping our theology because they're not applying it the same way we did. Now, we're going to see that in a second as we move through here because Jesus is going to put them on blast, right? But the Lord said to him that if he was hospitable, he would have actually offered him an opportunity to be clean. How do I know this? Because when the girl came in with the alabaster, he, he uh, 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 and broke the nard over Jesus and wiped her tears with his eyes, um, he jammed up the dude in the crib and said, yo, you didn't do anything to help me get washed and clean and straight in, in your crib. So it, it was a hospitality issue here culturally as well. But the Lord said to him, because that's a people-loving issue. <laughs> We're going to come back to that. He said, now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools. Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. So what is he doing? Jesus is doing something in particular. Jesus is helping them to understand what change and transformation looks like for real from the inside. Now, what he's going to do is show them that change and transformation on the inside does not just stay on the inside, but it affects how you treat people on the outside. Now, now, now watch, watch what the text says. Now, now watch what he says. He says, <coughs> he says, but woe to you Pharisees. Woe. Now, now, the woe now, you, you, be, uh, be very, very scared if God says woe to you. Woe isn't slowing a horse down in the Bible. Woe in the Bible is a judgment oracle, a pending judgment that can come upon you because of something systemically wrong with you and the group of people. Usually it's said to group of people, not merely individuals, but, 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 but systemic structures that placate and play into the way things are perceived in a particular society. I believe that there's some governments and some places in our world that God's going to be saying woe to, and that God is saying woe to it. The leaders of Israel, Jesus says woe to them. He says woe to them because they were supposed to be the guides of the nation. He says, so you give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb. He says, and you bypass justice and love for God. That's, that's, that's that. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. In other words, they're meticulous about the things that make them look good. <laughs> In other words, the thing that make you look like, make you say, hey, I'm a righteous person, those are the things that they big up on, but the things that really matter to the heart of God that may have to get you a little bit dirty, that may get you a little bit ostracized, and may not be the best thing for the tribe that you're in to, to, to keep you in that tribe and relationship with that denomination or that group of people or that little clique, what ends up happening is, is it doesn't make you look as good as the grimy part of what kingdom ministry called us to do. So these things, he said, you should have done without neglecting. So in doing this, Jesus says you bypass and neglect or neglect justice, bypass justice and love for God. Now, now we're going to spend most of our time today on justice. This is a very, very important thing that we must spend our time on. We're going to spend our time on justice because I'm going to spend literally the rest of our time on this one word. 
um, the expressions of what this word represents, what this word, what, what, it sh- what we should understand about it, um, and how, it f- how we frame it to see how much the Bible, how big this word is. And so um, when we talk about the idea of justice, you have to understand <clears throat> that Jesus' understanding of justice harkens back to the Old Testament. Now, um, now here he's not merely talking about the character of God, even though we'll get to that. He's talking about what I would say is called more of an administrative justice, administering justice. Uh, Understand what the emphasis on practically doing things to help people's lives change and get moved forward. We're going to see this in a second. Second. But understand this, because we're going to come to this Old Testament idea. So I need you to put on your thinking caps. I need you to get out your notes because we're going on a little bit of a ride, family of God. So we talk about justice. It starts with the character of God. Justice, (coughs) justice, it starts, I love this, it starts with the character of God. (laughs) Justice is understood, and I'm going to give Big definitions and streamlined definitions, right? Is understood as fairness. Correct treatment. They'll show this on the screen. Fairness, correct treatment, or equitable distribution of resources. That's not Marxism. That's not Marxism. I'll explain that in a second. That's not Marxism. But biblical justice right here is more than mathematical distribution of goods. We'll explain that in a second. (coughs) See, biblical justice doesn't mean, this is very important, that we make everybody middle class. (laughs) That's not what biblical justice means. I want to flesh that out because there are a lot of misnomers about what I mean about justice and what Christians who are fighting for justice, what we exactly mean by justice from a theological and applicational standpoint. So justice starts with the character of God. So justice, uh, 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 or or God's attributes. So justice of God means that God is entirely correct. This is up on the screen. Is entirely correct and just in all his dealings with humanity. Moreover, this justice acts in accordance with his law. Now I'm going to come back to the categories of justice so that we would understand this reality of justice. So when we talk about God, we talk about God being omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, gracious, merciful, right? We talk about all of those things about God. We're talking about his attributes. Now remember, if you're trekking with us and you remember from our first week, we talked, well, last week actually, we talked about God having communicable and incommunicable attributes, meaning that God has attributes that are only his, but attributes that we take on because we are in the image of God. Justice is one of those attributes that humanity takes on. And that attribute takes on is because God is a just God. He has embedded in us in blowing the breath of life into humanity to reflect his nature, whether you're saved or not. There is an expectation of you being an equitable person. There's an expectation of that reality. That's why when people get thrown into the lake of fire, it says they get thrown in because of the deeds that they did. He's talking about equitable in nature, right? And so when we look at this reality, 
In Genesis chapter, in, in, in Genesis chapter 18, 19, is when the word, the two words that are two dominant words in the Old Testament, but dominating our idea of what justice is. See, New Testament more so merges the terms, if you will, even though it uses a, 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 a several terms for different things, but, it, but these two terms Jesus uses in a merging way here in the text. Now, when it says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, they'll put it up on the screen. It says, for I have chosen him, talking about Abraham, God talking about Abraham, that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is, here it is, right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. And so God has an, what's called an unconditional covenant with Abraham and a conditional covenant with Abraham. One of, the, one of the features of the covenant is faith. Somebody say faith. And then understanding that one of those features is faith, one of the applications of this reality as it pertains for us to being a person of faith is being right and just. A right and just, being right and just is a part of what that means. And so what does the one right mean? It means adherence to what is required according to a standard. <laughs> in other words, right here means writing relationships with people and treating people as the image of God. One of the ways in which we know we're walking in, 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 in an Abrahamic covenant and really in the new covenant is that we're treating people as the image of God. That means that should, it should be a part of the character of the church where people feel most human being a Christian. Not only feel most human being a Christian, but also experiencing their greatest humanity when they're around Christians. We shouldn't be the worst people on the planet. We should be some of the best people on the planet. So, 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 so rightness or righteousness, some translators have it, although it's intrinsic family, it's talking about writing, coming from the inside, it's writing relationships with people and treating people as the image of God. But then just here means the quality of being free from favoritism. I love it. Self-interest, bias, deception, especially conforming to established standards or rules that are not established by God, rather. So, 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 so it means taking steps to advocating for the vulnerable in our society. Look at Deuteronomy 16, 19. Stay with me. <laughs> you shall not pervert justice. We're supposed to look out for people. Uh, avert, verse uh, 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 8 of the, of the next, of, 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 um, of Micah 6, it says that we should do justice, right? And so this idea of what Jesus is talking about here is really love for neighbor. That's really what justice is. Justice at its core is love for neighbor. And we see that reality in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. That loving the, our neighbor is an important part of being a Christian. And it's an application of the fulfillment of the law. And so if you don't love neighbor, you can't, you can't love, say, the Bible says, you can't say you, you, you love God, but you don't love the cat you see. That, 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 that doesn't make any kind of sense to us. And so for, for, for us, that means we're supposed to have equitable treatment of all people. And it's just like this. 
um, Christians were following the world in their lack of equitable treatment because it's been 50 years, it's been about 50 years since conservative seminaries were even, I mean, can you imagine, like I can't even wrap my mind around a seminary telling a black person you can't come because you're black. Like, I don't even, like, how do you teach the Bible and then show partiality? A lot of, most of the seminaries have only been the, the, the secular, I mean, not the secular ones, the, the, the conservative ones have only been letting in black people for 50 years, which lets us know for years. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know that Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King, he applied to a conservative seminary. It'll remain unnamed. And, and they rejected him because he was black. See, interestingly enough, <laughs> uh, 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 I, I mean, the question is, if he'd have got in, would he have been the Martin Luther King we know? Um, <laughs> that, that's a whole nother story. Um, but it's very, very important for us to really <laughs> get this understanding of justice in our head. I, I like the way Leviticus 19.15 says it. It says, you shall do, uh, you shall do no injustice in court. I love that. Uh, that we need that today. Look at Deuteronomy 117. You shall not be partial in judgment, right? There's so many passages on this. Deuteronomy 10:17. Who is not partial and takes no bribe? He executes justice for the fatherless and for the widow. Verse 20 of uh, chapter uh, Verse uh, 20 of chapter 16 of Deuteronomy. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land the Lord your God is giving you. So somebody said, that's all Old Testament. Where is it in the New Testament? Well, first off, you got this verse where Jesus says you bypass justice. But if you want some Paul, because some of us don't believe nothing until Paul say it. So, um, so, so, so Romans 2.11, Romans 2.11, Romans 2.11 says, for God shows no partiality. So when we look at this reality of us working through this, the question is, as we streamline all of this, and believe me, I'm condensing this. It's driving me crazy. I'm condensing so much of this for us. But how do we define justice? At the end of the day, when we're looking at this idea of how Jesus is using justice here, he's using it from an Old Testament perspective. It means restoring peace in every area of society. That's what justice means. Stay with me. This is, this is beautiful stuff. We're going we're gonna to get to the practical stuff, but I get to get the framework. Somebody say framework. framework. Yeah, yeah, framework. We need framework. So justice, they're putting all of this up there. They'll have my notes. They'll put all of this online uh, for y'all to see. So look, justice then is this. Justice is the act of ensuring equitable treatment of all humanity as well as the correction, oh God, help me. Let me go back to the first part of this. This is, this is important. <clears throat> Justice is the act of ensuring the equitable treatment of all humanity. That's part one. That everybody gets treated the same. That means if a black man has weed and a white man has weed, you don't just tell the white man going about your business. Get a black man 10 years. That's not equitable treatment. That means when you pull a white man over, uh, 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 you don't assume 
that the white man is all right. And then when you pull the black man over, you pull your gun out before you get out the car. It was just like the boy that was with his, his grandmother, young, young black boy. He was about 15 years old. And somebody called while they were driving down the street and said, two men are holding a, a white woman hostage. She's driving the car. Um, and then <coughs> police showed up on the scene, pulled a young man out of the car, handcuffed him. His grandmother had just came from church and picked him up from work. And she's like, that's my grandson. And of course, she was a white woman. So they like, how in the world is this black boy riding with this white woman unless there's, I mean, it's some out of the, it's some Jim Crow Confederate pre-1950s mess. You understand what I'm saying? Going on in our day. So we, we ensure that we have equitable treatment of all humanity. As well as, listen, the correction and resetting of treatment and value when there is a violation, all based on the standards of God. That's very important. When there's a violation, we base our standards on God's standards. We don't base them merely on human standards. That doesn't mean we don't follow human law because a lot of human law is based on God's moral premise, God's moral law. So now, now that we have a working definition of justice, treating all people equitably, but also correcting stuff when it's wrong, Let's break down the four categories of justice again. They're going to put this on the screen for you. These four categories of justice are part of God's nature and justice. They're also in the scriptures. And they're also used by our government and taught in law school. It's interesting. So justice, types of justice. Number one, the first type of justice is distributive justice. Distributive justice. Distributive justice is equal economic opportunity. So it's equal opportunity in general. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, you'll remember that we were all supposed to be made in the image of God and we were supposed to equally subdue the earth and give an equal opportunity to maximize our significance, dignity, and identity in human flourishing. That means that no one was to get in anyone's way in being competitive with them in pulling them back. There's nothing wrong with competition. Competition isn't inequitable. Competition is only bad when you compete, when your competition drives you to pull, to, to create obstacles in, in front of people's flourishing. That doesn't mean that, so, so, so we're not saying in law school, let, let's, let's lower the bar. Uh, 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 doctors, let's lower the bar. No, we're not talking about lowering the bar. We're talking about uh, uh, starting from the same point one. That's what we're talking about. So, so, so the, for the first one is the first one is distributive justice. The second one is procedural justice. Procedural justice. We just read the idea of not showing partiality. The Bible says in Leviticus 19:15, do not show partiality to the rich or to the poor. Say so just because somebody poor <clears throat> doesn't mean we give them better treatment than the rich. It also doesn't, definitely doesn't mean, which is more so the, the, the reality than not, that the rich get treated better than the poor. It, procedural justice, impartiality, and consistency in deciding justly. The Bible wants us to decide stuff justly. That, 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 that means that, means that what, what, what you give to one person, give to the other person, whether it's positive or negative. You have to, you have to judge justly. That's what the Bible teaches us, right? Not only that, we got retributive justice, rather. 
Retributive justice. Uh, uh, so what does that mean? Bringing lawbreakers to justice and prosecuting them. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. One of the things that the Bible says the government was set up for, government was set up to reward and, and to punish those who do wrong. And so it's left up the government. That means we shouldn't be on the street. You know, I remember when Rodney King got killed, I mean, uh, got beat up. And man, they, the, the black people, this, this truck driver, just a general truck driver riding through, the, he was in South Central at just the wrong time. They pulled that dude out of the car and plum whooped him down. That's not proper use of retributive justice, just going after people because we're angry about something. That's not, retributive justice is putting people through a due process to make sure that all of the facts are there, everything lines up, and they're connected in a systemic way because you can't do individual justice ex expecting systemic change. That, that, that's very, very important. And so, and, so, and so it's very, very important that we look at uh, 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 what it looks like to make sure that we even as black people restrain how we respond to injustice in a negative way. So that's what, that's what made the civil rights movement so powerful. The thing that made the civil rights movement so powerful is they were strategic and they knew how to funnel their anger and they knew how to organize and stay on the same page together. That's why I don't like when the Black Lives Matter movement talking about not your mama civil rights movement. You ain't even as organized as the civil rights movement, and you ain't even got half as much done as the civil rights movement. So I don't like, I don't like when younger generations act like they're the first one to do something. Like, you need to learn from it and stop talking all that smack, even though, again, we don't fully agree with the Black Lives Matter as an organization. Like, we ain't on the same page with that stuff. We're on the same page with the movement of Black Lives Matter, but the organization Black Lives all of that, all of that, like LGBTQ, y'all get mad at me if you want. We love LGBTQ people. We don't agree with promoting an agenda of LGBTQ. Just be mad at me. So we love you, but we not, Black Lives Matter for me is restoring black dignity. It doesn't mean added to it, uh, redefining the family. That's not justice. Like, 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 so I'm not, I'm not going to march with you to redefine the family. Do you hear me? So we talk about re, re, retributive justice and all of that. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like what we're trying, and we're not Marxists. We don't believe that everybody, um, everybody should be given the equal amount of economic resources, dis distribution. We don't, that's not, that's not, that's, no. We're, we're, we're talking, unless everybody's being distributed something by government, we believe in equal distribution. But we're not talking about everybody gets the equal size house, everybody gets the, like, work. We want to be able to have freedom to work, to be able to get what we can get, but we want you to get the heck out of our way. How about that? That's what we're talking about. So when we talk about retributive justice, we want the lawbreakers to be brought to justice. So that means if you if the police can't get a reprieve because you're a police officer. You can't. If you, if you kill somebody, you're a citizen just like me. You having a badge doesn't make you make doesn't give you amnesty from justice. So when we so 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 God doesn't allow for that. That means, as a matter of fact, the Bible the Bible even uses examples like this. Teachers incur a stricter judgment. When David did something, he got a huge judgment against him. When leaders are people who run structures or who are supposed to be God's enforcers because lawmakers and government and officials are ministers, Romans 13 says. So there should even be a strict because you have more room for manipulation and injustice because you're in power. 
<clears throat> so I believe your sentencing should be worse than the regular person because the person that's under you don't have the same access to power that you have. That's proper redistributive justice. But a lot of times people pat each other's backs. <clears throat> and then finally, we have restorative justice. Restorative justice. And I'll talk about two areas of restorative justice under it. So we see restorative justice, they're putting all of these on the screen, is, is concerned with healing the wounds of victims. This is beautiful. <laughs> so biblical. As well as for making lawbreakers have to adhere to compliance. Essentially, it seeks to repair the damage done to interpersonal relationships and community. Interesting, we see an example of restorative justice is um, Solomon uh, asked God for wisdom and he's brand new king, young king. And these two women came to him and this, they brought a baby with him and they said, this is my baby. She said, nah, this is my baby. This is, nah, this is my baby. Nah, this is my baby. And although Solomon's, what he did was crazy what he said, he was trying to do what's called restorative justice. He was trying to get the baby back to the correct mother. And what he says is, he said, okay, how about this? I'll cut the baby in half and you have one half of the baby, you have the other half of the baby. And he said, the real mother said, the real mother said, this is what she said. He says, no, just let her have the baby. Solomon said, and the other one was like, no, yeah, yes, give her here, give her here. And then Solomon said, this is the mother. What was he doing? There was injustice happening because a woman, her baby had died and she was trying to take over the other woman's baby. And, and instead of just dealing with the grief of her loss, she tried to take the other person's baby. And in and, and doing that, she was willing, she wanted the other woman's baby dead just like hers was dead. And because the real mother, uh, she would rather, see that's how you know a mother. Mothers, mothers are just a different breed. That she loved her baby so much that she would let a woman have her baby instead of her to raise it as long as the baby wasn't hurt. That's how Solomon knew it was the mother. Restorative justice wisely goes into society and deals with different levels of things like that. We need Salmonic wisdom in our justice system. So when we look at that, is there's two levels of restorative justice that I'll briefly discuss. I'm glad y'all are trekking with me. It seems like y'all are trekking with me in your living room. Stay with me because this is all of these laid out things that we want to lay out. <clears throat> two types of restorative justice that the Bible talks about. Preventative justice and intervening justice. Preventative justice and intervening justice. Preventative justice prevents something from happening that maybe was happening or just want to prevent it from happening. That's, that's Act 6 when they, when they, when they uh, made sure that the widows were taken care of when they were unjustly treated, the Hellenistic Jewish widows who weren't getting served properly because the Jewish widow, the, uh, widows were getting served, but the, but the uh, Hellenistic, the Hebrew widows were getting served, but the Hellenistic widows weren't getting served. And so they put a system in place to prevent that from happening. They intervene, but they put a system of prevention in place. Not only that, intervening justice comes in and intervenes. <clears throat> uh, Isaiah 1.17, that's a big verse at Epiphany Fellowship. It talks, about, uh, it talks about correcting the oppressor. So one of the things that we're doing, I was on a, a call this week with our woke, uh, 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 church initiative team, and one of the things that we're going to be working on is police brutality uh, 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 challenges in our community working with our uh, precinct that's a few blocks from here. And although um, um, there, there haven't been a ton of fatal shooting, no, any fatal shootings, 
of unarmed black men. As a matter of fact, the hood to protect, I mean, Philly's a different place, you know, for that to happen here. I, I would, shoot, you kill somebody in Philly that wasn't armed and see what happened in every sector of Philly. I mean, this is not the city. I just want to say that. Um, and I'm not trying to get something to happen. I'm just saying this, this is not a city for it. <clears throat> but what there is, is there's physical brutality. <clears throat> and there are a ton of complaints out there. So what we're going to be doing, surveying our community, <clears throat> talking to the community liaison of that precinct, <clears throat> developing a relationship with the commissioner and talking about a citywide way to help train officers to have better relations with communities. And not only have better relations with communities, to, but, but to stop beating black people. That, at the end of the day, like if I did something and I, and I need to be arrested, arrest me. Don't break my arm. Don't hit me in the ribs. Don't kick me in the, in the, in, in, in the, in the place, you know, that only men got. You know, but arrest me and just take me to jail. Don't do anything extra. But then if I didn't do anything, don't arrest me. And so we want to work on some <clears throat> preventative and intervening justice in that. As, 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 as I land this. I want you to understand the nature of justice. Justice, shalom is connected to justice, peace. It's so important. That's what the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, around the seven verses, seek the verse six, it says, seek the peace of the city. That word shalom is a big word. It means to get all creation operating based on God's intended design. Shalom, I like the way Walter Storff says it, Y'all can put this up there. Shalom is the human being dwelling at peace in all his or her relationships with God, with self, with fellows, and with nature or creation, right? So the goal of justice is shalom, getting things back to God's intention. That means we have to all be on the same page with what God's intentions are like. So when we address systemic issues in urban culture in particular, we have to, in, in, we have to engage them spiritually. That means dealing with the fallenness of the people and the systems in the community. Educationally, you know, closing high schools like in Strawberry Mansion. There are no high schools in Strawberry Mansion, so we got to engage stuff in educationally in our community, right? Strawberry Section, Mansion, of Philly. Um, we have, uh, e we got to engage economically. See, a lot of people talk about, how do we deal with gun violence and black-on-black -black crime in the community? If you don't deal with racism, you will never deal and get rid of violence because violence is a trickle-down effect of being excluded out of the opportunity for general opportunities and a culture in any poor community. If you're in a trailer park or in the inner city, black inner city, there is going to be white-on-white -white crime in the trailer park and there's going to be black-on-black -black crime in the inner city. The issue is <clears throat> trailer park crimes don't get put on the national news. Only the black on black violence get put on news. And so it looked like the Negroes are the crazy ones and the white people are the wise ones who only have a kill a year. Right? But yes, there are drugs there. It's bad there and it's bad here. So guess what? In dealing with African American experience, we need to begin to work through economically to build systems in the community to help opportunities to lower that, right? Socially, socially. In other words, engaging the structures. I'm pretty much done, y'all. So we got to have a systemic awareness of what, excuse me, of what racial injustice issues of our day are and mobilizing the church to engage them. Number one, Got to see a justice through gospel eyes, James 1 through 2. Number two, we got to do our homework. 
1 Chronicles 12, 32. Number three, we have to speak prophetically to the issues, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. We have to find strategic ways to engage issues, Isaiah 58. So we talk about the woke church and what we do. We have five dimensions of them. Number one, and you, I, I, I won't talk about these in depth today. We'll talk about them on another week. Five dimensions, spiritual, being woke, spiritual, personal, relational, social, and eschatological. Eschatological, eschatological. See, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but in order for him to bring peace, he has to come as the judge to minister justice in order for peace to happen. That's how beautiful that is. In closing, when we talk about justice and inequity in our society, athletes are checked regularly before and after they win. And the reason why they're checked before and after they win is to make sure that they didn't ingest anything illegal. Why did they do that? They want to check them to see if they ingested anything illegal just to make sure that everybody won and ran the race fairly. Whether it's running, whether it's fighting, that it was done fairly. And if there was something done where someone took a supplement or something that they shouldn't have taken that gave them a competitive edge and broke the equality gap that was supposed to be there, then guess what they do? The commission gets in the way to flag them out and remove and disqualify them from a win that they got by inequitable means. That's what justice should be done like in our society. God has ordained, justice is, is, is the God-ordained mechanism to make sure all human flourishing is regulated by truth and equity. And one of the things that I like about this reality is that Jesus Christ the Son of Man is going to return one day and he is going to set up the kingdom on earth because of his death and resurrection. He's going to set up the kingdom on planet earth and he is going to make sure that rewards are equitably distributed based on deeds that we did as believers. He's going to make sure that there's equitable rule and the earth will finally, well, what, the, what, what Adam and Eve failed to do was fill the earth with God's glory and lookalikes and people subduing the earth. Christ will have had subdued everything and given us free reign to be able to reign with him and enjoy with him. And he will be the administer of justice and equality because everyone in him, there is no one of us better than the other one. And that's beautiful about being in Christ is that the, that's why we take communion every week because communion is the mighty equalizer of letting you know, I don't care what side of the track you come from. You had to come to the cross just like everybody else. And so I want us, as we think about this, and just to think about and meditate on and reflect on biblical justice, and as we reflect on biblical justice, I just want you to be able to, you, you're going to have to go back through this again. You're going to have to go back through this and listen to it a couple more times and, and get some information on it. And I'll put my notes online. We'll have some stuff up so that you can begin to frame out and develop a biblical understanding of justice, not just so that you can argue with somebody, not so that you can just be right, but so that we can have a framework for bringing change to our culture. God bless you. Take care. Pastor Mason, out. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.